0: You can have a seat. Oh man, I'll will t- tell you what. Every time every time that we uh, we sing that, that song, Jesus paid it all. That's that's probably one of my that's probably one of my favorite um, hymns. That's kind of made this resurgence of of, of being a little bit more uh, uh, common uh, in in our uh, in our songs here today. Uh, just that that uh, that picture that picture of Jesus is just awesome. And it's and it's why we get to get together here today and and uh, and celebrate life and life in Him and, and be challenged and grow, and uh, and so man I thank you thank you for worshiping together this morning. Uh, it's a it's a great place to it's a great place for us to start here uh, here today. Well, this morning we are uh, we're kicking into part two of a four-part series called the good life. And in this series, we're going to be answering a, a, uh, a couple of questions. One, what is the good life? Two, how do I get it? And three, what does it do? Let's face it. We, we, all, like, we all have this different perspective of, of what the good life looks like, right? Like, like maybe for you, that the good life looks like this. It's, we want to wake up in the morning on our terms. No kids, no interruptions from kids, no alarm clocks. In my case, no puppy uh, to wake me up. Um, we want to be woken up without eru- interruptions. We we want to wake up to a day that's that's, that's sunny and, and, and about seventy three degrees with a gentle breeze. Uh, we we like the air smelling like freshly brewed coffee. To have our bills paid, uh, food on the table, and soaking it all in with our soulmate. Like that's that sounds like the good life, doesn't it? Like we all we all want we all want the good life. We all aspire. We all aspire to. Things that are good in, in our lives. Last week, I, I shared with you a, a little bit about uh, about some of the, the the basic needs that you and I have as as humans. We we need security, and we need uh, we need to feel like like we have a purpose, like we're doing something that that we are uh, that we're provided for, that we experience love and, and stuff like that. The problem is the problem is that that when we talk about when we talk about this idea of the good life and and trying to find trying to aspire to this good life. The, the thing that we run into is, is that we live in a very, very broken world. You don't have to look far to see that this world is kind of a mess right now, but it doesn't keep you and I from experiencing the goodness in life that God has, has presented for us through Jesus as he has promised that, that, he, that through him and in him that we can receive life to the fullest, that we can live the good life Here and now. Well, last week, we started uh, with a letter from uh, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul uh, was a, uh, he was a a Jewish teacher that uh, converted to Christianity, had this incredible story of what God did to get his attention, and uh, and we see that that a lot of the the New Testament writings that we have, a lot of them are letters that that are to churches and to people uh, in whom he's, he's met with and he's instructed and he's kind of passing these things on, and we have these letters here today that kind of give us some guidance as far as what it looks like to live the Christian life. And so, in this, uh, in this one particular letter, Paul writes to a young pastor named Titus. And, and Paul urges Titus to make sure that the church stays on track, that the church devotes themselves to doing what is good. And it's not just good for goodness' sake, he urges them to, to do what is good in order to be able to meet the urgent needs of the people around them, so, and to keep them from living unproductive lives. None of us want to, at the end of our days, none of us want to have it said about us that their life was meaningless. None of us wants on our epitaph that here lies, you know, a person who had zero impact on the world around them, they will not be missed. Like nobody, nobody wants that kind of like nihilistic outcome, do they? So, so throughout this letter, so throughout this letter, which we'll see here in the next couple of weeks, Paul gives us this definition of the good life. How many of you remember it from last week? Sir, one person remembers it. Callie, what it, yeah, I'm gonna put you on the, can I put you on the spot? No? No, all right, all right. So, uh, all right, so I'm gonna say this because this is kind of the, the, the statement that I hope sticks with you so that, and, and as we explain this and as you understand this, it becomes more and more real uh, as, you, as you understand you remember it? It's the equation, yes. What's the equation for the good life? The, the good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. Say that with me. The good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. Excellent. Thank you so much, Callie. Oh, Becky and Callie, teamwork. It was teamwork. We need, we need each other. We need each other. We're gonna actually talk about that this morning. Let's talk about that. Okay, so the good life is a life that's filled with faith or a confidence that the writer of Hebrews defines as a certainty of things that we can hope for are a certainty of things that we can 't see and a confidence in what we hope for we believe in something that's outside of, of ourselves actually the the, uh, the psychologist Abraham Maslow that, that came up with this like hierarchy of needs this Maslow's hierarchy of needs would later on like critique his own his own research and say that that we need something like outside of ourselves we don't just need to be like self-actualized people we don't just need to be like kumbaya self-esteem like I feel good about me type of thing that like we are Purpose like comes from outside of ourselves, that there's something that's bigger than than us. And uh, and and the, the scripture would define that as faith. That we believe, we believe that there is a God that he cares for you and I, and he's intimately and actively involved in our lives, and he's given us the perfect example of what the good life looks like in the person of Jesus. That in Jesus, uh, that in Jesus we can put our faith, we all have faith in something whether it's in the car that got you here today, whether it's in the air you breathe or the chair that you're sitting in, we all believe in something. But when we have an object to our faith or we have something that our faith is locked into, like in the person of Jesus, it exponentially multiplies the possibilities of our faith and gives us incredible hope and confidence that in the life that we have with the assurance that this is not all there is. And in the meantime, while we're waiting on that moment to be reunited with God, we pursue a life of faith that is full of grace or it's, it's, unmer- it's full of unmerited favor, that we, are not only receive, we receive this thing from God, this love from God, that there's no way that we could ever earn it. There's no way we could ever work, work enough to, to earn it and gain it, uh, or be good enough for it. Um, but God gives it to us. It's, it's called grace. It's unmerited favor. And once we receive it, we have to remember that the good life is not about me anymore. And so I need to give it away, just as it's been given to me. And no matter where you fall in your faith journey, we can all agree that our world, in light of all of the things that are going on, with fear and and, and, and the evil and uncertainty, that our world is in desperate need. Our world is in desperate need of seeing something good right now, not yet. Yes, not tomorrow, not five years down the road, not after legislation is passed, you can't legislate goodness. Um, our world desperately needs to see it now, and this is why Jesus prayed those words that, that echoed through the centuries of God, "Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth." as it is in heaven. That's an entirely other series. We're gonna be getting to that this fall, um, but back to, the, back to the ranch here. So if the good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace, where do we go from here? Like if we know that's what it looks like, what's next? Well, strap in, because this is kind of like a mini-series. This morning starts kind of a mini-series within the series, so like this is four parts, but, this is, but today, today is part one of two, which is, anybody following me here? No? We good? We good? Okay. Um, this morning, actually, this, this kind of starts something today that um, if, if you aren't able to be here next week, I really want to encourage you to, uh, to tune in next week uh, at ecwesleyan.net. You can listen online. If you missed last week, you can go and listen online there until the cows come home. I'm not sure how long that is, but it'll be up there for a little while. Um, because today, what I'm going to give you is something that's a little bit more prescriptive. It's kind of like if you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you, okay, in, in order for you to achieve your end goal, these are the things that you must do, okay? You've got to, you know, you may need to take this medication or you may need to cut this food out or eat this, this other thing or, or you know, do, exer, do this exercise. Today is going to be kind of that, like, prescription list, um, Next week is gonna be a little bit more of the outcome of, of what comes out of this. So so strap in, hang in there with me. Um, but before we dive into to the Scripture, um, I, I said this last week, and I, I'm gonna to stick to my guns uh, with this, that like Pastor Mark is gone, uh, and so I'm gonna do a couple of like weird things during the, the message. Um, I promise I'm not gonna wear pajamas. Well, I'm 70% sure that I'm not gonna wear pajamas up here to preach at some point in time. But uh, before we dive into the scripture this morning, I wanna actually invite a, a guest up to, uh, the, I, wanna, I wanna have a conversation with in front of you. Um, if you. If you don't know her, her name is Nancy Olson. Uh, Nancy is our children's ministry director, uh, an absolutely fantastic lady. I am encouraged after every conversation that I have with Nancy, and so would you guys give her a warm welcome? Nancy, would you uh, would you please join me up here? And I'm going to give you this handy dandy handheld microphone. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. You doing all right? <laughs> after first first service didn't kill you right you're good made it through Went, sunday school, through sunday school. <laughs> excellent excellent you know when i originally asked nancy last week to to join me up here uh, she she said you know she's like i'm i'm really nervous i really get really nervous talking in front of people usually the the people that i talk to are like this this tall and i can kind of fend them off like if they get like if i get overwhelmed i can kind of fend them off but but, you know, you did a great job last service, so we're going we're gonna to have a conversation, and I promise that it's not just going to be all me complimenting you uh, this, <laughs> this entire time. Um, Nancy, uh, share a little bit of your story with us. How did, you, how did you become a Christian?
1: Well, I first became a Christian back in the 70s. Um,
0: there was bigger hair back then. Yes. That's what I hear. A lot more hair. A lot. Okay. yeah. Um,
1: You know, I I prayed, and I went to church sometimes, but I never made that deep commitment to God. And then I met my husband, Vern, and we got married, and we both knew that God wanted more from us than what we were doing. So we went to several different churches, ended up here, walked in the door literally the first Sunday, and God said to me, well, this is where you're supposed to be. And we've been here ever since. And it's just been awesome to just rededicate my life to God and surrender to him. And I've asked God to use me in whatever way he wanted to. And when you pray that prayer, God uses you. Not always like you think he will, but he definitely will use you.
0: It's really, you know, Nancy, uh, one of the parts of your story that you didn't share that was one of the things that actually brought you here was a cup of coffee. It uh, was. <laughs> um, it, was it's, it was really kind of interesting. Uh, a couple years back, uh, Pastor Dave uh, had, uh, had done an outreach at, uh, down at Starbucks. And we were with a, got together with a bunch of people just buying people cups of coffee and stuff like that. And I think, I think it was Vern that was just like, I know what you're doing. Like I, I know, I know, I'm on to you. I'm on to you. I know what you're doing. Um, I'll tell
1: you that story quickly. <laughs> yeah. We pulled up at Starbucks, which we don't do very often, and here's this guy standing by the window. And we thought, what is he doing? And he's motioning for us to pull up. So we pulled up and he introduced himself and said he was with the Wesleyan Church. And we had already placed our order, and he said, I'm paying for your coffee we'd like you to come to church so when we thanked him and we got our coffee as we pulled out I said oh that man was so nice and Vern said we should have ordered a bigger cup
0: (laughs) right (laughs) right (laughs)
1: Right? Well, we didn't know
0: (laughs) should have gotten the big one yeah
1: (laughs) So here we are.
0: So here, here you are. That's you know, I I am I'm fascinated by that. That's 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 an awesome. I love that. I love I love you know every time we talk about that. Um, at, at what point though, uh, Nancy, in, in your faith journey, uh, you you kind of alluded a little bit to this, but. Um, at what point in your faith journey did you realize that um, your faith was actually calling you to action? Like, it wasn't just that I have this, like, intellectual assent or this intellectual understanding of who God is and, and and what it means to be a Christian. Like, but it's actually, like, it's, it's actually, like, changing you and it's causing you to, to act differently or, or, or calling you to action. What did, what did that look like for you?
1: Well, I think it was a gradual journey you know, praying to find out what God wanted, reading the scriptures, hearing the scriptures. Um, We attended a discipleship class which really touched my heart. Um, Matthew 28 tells us to go out and baptize, go out to all nations and baptize and preach the word and it's a command, it's not a suggestion And it really touched my heart that God was speaking to me. We've read a number of books, um, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, um, Radical by David Platt. Books that just really touched our hearts. And God spoke to me saying, you need to do something. You have a gift of teaching. I taught in the Eau Claire School District for 25 years. And it was time to start teaching children about God. So it happened slowly, but step by step, God led me to where he wanted me.
0: It's interesting that you say that it was kind of like this this progression that it wasn't just like you know one day bam like then you're suddenly like you're like hey suddenly you are the children's ministry director you know um, that that scary. that that would, that would be rather scary that would be rather rather scary but you you had mentioned that like there was there was kind of this like gradual like you're you're owning you're, you're kind of owning your faith you're 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 taking you're investing in it like as you're not only reading scripture but you're also reading uh, other books Jim um, Symbola Fresh wind, fresh fire, amazing, uh, amazing story. Uh, radical, uh, really challenging. Um, I know another guy, uh, Francis Chan. Uh, his book Crazy Love uh, was another one that, uh, for me personally, was one that that just really kind of uh, kind of pushed me to uh, to a, a place where I was like, okay, I, this my faith needs to do something. Like, it, I can't just I can't just sit on my hands anymore. But when when you when you read stuff like that and and kind of like the title of, of one of the books there, it sounds radical. Like it sounds it sounds like something that that's just like completely foreign left field like like only crazy people you know do this kind of thing. But what what were some of the what were some of the fears that that kind of came out of like you you started having this realization that my faith needs to do something. I need to be active in, in this. What were some of the fears that, that came out of that? Wow. Well, outside um, of sitting here today. Outside
1: of, yes, outside of sitting here. Um, you know, I started out on Wednesday evenings doing Awana, which was a number of years ago. And it was something I prayed and prayed about. I knew I was a good teacher I taught reading, writing, math. I was good at that, but all of a sudden, I realized God was using me to teach children about Jesus, about salvation, and I did a lot of praying that what I say and what I do is what God wants, Hmm. not what I want. Um, One of the fears I really had was when I was asked to take over as the children's ministry leader. I was filling Judy Ritter's shoes.
0: Which, if if you don't know, Judy was the had led Sunday school and led the children's church for a long, long time. Had a great legacy of children's ministry.
1: And that was scary to me. Um, I cried about it. It was like, wow. I don't know if I'm up to this. I don't know if I can do it. But I have found... The more I pray, the more God is right next to me, helping me and showing me what to do. And God has spoken to me about prayer so strongly in the last year or two. You know, if you're not praying, you're not hearing God's voice. And so I just thank God that he's led me in this direction.
0: Yes, yeah, is kind, of, kind of like one part of a two-sided conversation, right? Like
1: Oh, yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um yeah, thank you so much for for sharing that. Um one one last question for you. Um what are what are some of the as as you've been teaching now, you know, you you talked a little bit about that like kind of trepidation in in um in in stepping into a role like that and and um I I'm sure there are other people too that have had fears. Uh, about that what are what are some of the character qualities that matter uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to a person that leads within a ministry
1: well I think first of all you have to be right with God you need a repentant spirit you need an open heart so you know what God is telling you you need to be honest and you need a lot of prayer um, I've prayed for so many things, and God has been so gracious. We lost some of our Sunday school teachers. I prayed about it, and people came up and said, would you like me to help you teach? And it was like, thank you, Lord. Um, I love it when that happens. (laughs) So there's some awesome people helping out. I still do need a few substitutes or helpers. Shameless plug. So I am plugging for that. (laughs) If God speaks to your heart to work with these children, it is so awesome to be with them, to listen to them talk, to listen to them pray. Some of the youngest children will pray in front of the whole group, and it's so wonderful to see what God is doing through them. So... You just need to surrender to God and ask him to use you. Not that I won't make mistakes. We all do. But we need to just keep seeking God and asking his help.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing, Nancy. Would you guys give Nancy a round of applause? Thank you so much. We're going to go ahead and dive right into uh, to Titus chapter one, uh, verses five through sixteen. If you are, if you want to use the uh, the Bible in the the pew in front of you, it's going to be on page nine sixty five. It's the bottom right hand corner of that, or the words are going to be up on the screen uh, as as well. So Titus chapter one, uh, starting in verse five, the reason I left you in Crete. was that you you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to charges of being wild or disobedient. Since an overseer is instructed with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing honest g- or dishonest gain. Uh, rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. There are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining the whole households by teaching things that they ought not to teach and for the sake of dishonest gain. One of their own prophets has even said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be of sound sound in the faith and will not pay attention to, to Jewish myths or commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupt. They claim to know God, but in their actions they deny him. They're kind of detestable and disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. You must teach what is according with sound doctrine. Now, there's a lot that's going on within this passage. And I shared a small window of, of the context here of Titus's situation last week, but there's, there's more going on in this passage that we need to, to look at. Titus is ministering in the Isle of Crete. This is a brutal place to, to be. Uh, geographically, it's, it's located in the Mediterranean Sea, making it historically, uh, a historically contested uh, island. Uh, it, uh, it had occupation from different empires from Egypt to Greece to Rome as well as various Arab uh, tribes as well. The island had this pattern of, of being divided up into these warring city-states often breeding a, a pretty lucrative environment for mercenaries and pirates. Along that, there's this contingent of Jewish Christians that were holding on to to part of Jewish law which the apostles in the early church through prayerful discernment through the Holy Spirit uh, they discerned that these were stumbling blocks to Gentile believers or, or to, to non-Jewish people to have to submit to in order to follow Jesus. It was like an extra barrier that was keeping people from God. And these people were not only discouraging those who wanted to follow Jesus, but they continued to spread this really false and really destructive teaching. And so into this mess, Paul writes to Titus and he says, hey, by the way, um, you should appoint leaders, and make sure that they're upstanding citizens with solid theology. No big, no big task, right? In other words, Titus, we need leaders that are asking a key question. Are we good? The, the reason I asked Nancy the, the last two questions that, that I did was because they're incredibly significant to us as we consider reading passages like this. I think oftentimes we can, we can go into a passage like this and we can see the mess, and, uh, and oftentimes, uh, we can feel really, really disappointed or really, really discouraged and disqualified from any type of leadership. But remember as we read this, we're trying to figure out what it has to say about the good life, a life that's you plus faith times Jesus and grace. And in order for us to move forward, we have to, letter A, deal with the mess to get to the miracle. We have to deal with the mess to get to the miracle. We have a wealth of, of heroes uh, throughout the, the Bible who, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, it's, you've probably at one point in time said, man, I just really wish I was like David or, or like Moses or like Gideon or, or maybe I wanna be like Ruth. I wanna be like, I wanna be like Mary. And it's great for us to have role models. It's great for us to aspire to, uh, to something. But if you really read scripture, like it's full of really, really deeply flawed people. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, it's, it's funny if you, if you take a survey of this. I mean, David, David was an adulterer. Moses was a murderer. Gideon a coward. Ruth was manipulative. Mary wanted Jesus to do party tricks. And then the list goes on. I mean, these are flawed people who their life was a mess, But God did miraculous things in them and through them because of one simple factor, grace. Grace makes it possible in whatever sin or failure that that you find yourself for God to transform your most epic fail into a full-on miracle. It makes the answer to the question of are we good a solid yes from God. Come on now, you know what i 'm talking about it's why it 's why we cheer for people when we hear their stories and we hear uh, the, the life transformation that, that, that happens in their in their lives. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, we heard, uh, we heard a, teddy, uh, a testimony from uh, the Gideons uh, from a young man named Christopher Ewan. Uh, maybe you got to see him last fall up at Red Cedar Community Church. I know he 's spoken also at jacob 's Well uh, here locally. Um, of a just a, a life that God has just took and transformed and and uh, and 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 God is doing powerful things through this young man or or maybe uh, you you've uh, you've heard the name Brian Cole in in our area a pastor that that uh, God delivered from a life of of drugs and Satanism and uh, and we look at stories like this where life is crashing its its trajectory is headed directly towards hell and and the, because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ this the 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 entire trajectory has changed. And the beauty of these stories, the beauty of these stories is while they were in those places, that God's grace found them. That, that there's hope in that, that there is no place that you and I could run too far away from God in which His grace is, is incapable of reaching you. God is able to reach into the mess and create a miracle. Remember, the good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. God doesn't leave us in those places that he finds us. That's one of the most beautiful things about the Christian life is he doesn't leave us in those places that he finds us, but but through Christ he takes us beyond there. And I, and I know that if you've been in a Christian circle for a long enough, you hear stories like this, and, and we, we celebrate those things, and we think, oh, those are great, those are wonderful stories, but my story, I, you know, God didn't save me from crack cocaine, like, I don't have a good story, like, I wish I did drugs, I wish I was in jail and I murdered people, like, uh, how, how many times like, have you heard a story and it's been like, you know, man, I wish my story was like that awesome, and we feel like, ah, nobody wants to hear my story. Nobody, nobody wants to hear that. I want to tell you this morning that, hey, guess what? Your, your life was kind of in a mess too. Uh, Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is kind of messy like that. Uh, we all have been in a mess somewhere. And maybe God has kept you from bigger messes. That's grace too. Um, that is, that's a, a, a grace that is, that's a protection. That God is for whatever reason, has, uh, has protected you from other circumstances that, that may have otherwise uh, sought to destroy you. Your life and your story, they matter because in all of our lives, in our, all of our lives, whatever your story is, you are not disqualified based on the, the dramatic nature of, of you entering into a relationship with Jesus. Your story matters because God is a part of that story. God can take any life, can transform any life, wherever you find yourself, whether it's ambivalence or in full-blown rebellion, I'm running away from God, I'm heading, I'm gonna do the exact opposite. Like, God can meet you where you're at in the mess. You are not disqualified from the good life when you pursue God. And remember, when you receive this grace that it's not about you anymore. And so the good life calls us to letter B, to own our influence Paul instructs Titus to find leaders who, who have left behind their former lives, that they've, they've left behind the deception, following of, of wrong teaching. They left behind the brawling and the rebellion of the past, and they traded them for lives of integrity and authenticity and accountability. Like, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, if, if our political candidates right now, like, that was the platform, like, I'm going to be authentic with you. I'm going to share with you my mis- the mistakes of my past, and I'm going to be held accountable to that, and I'm going to be full of integrity in the future, like... Wouldn't we all vote for that? Like, wouldn't that be an awesome platform to run on? <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we've been called, we've been called, and, and God, God has, uh, has called these leaders, and just as much as you and I, to, uh, to lives of integrity and authenticity and accountability. Remember, when we add to our faith Jesus and focus on Jesus, it exponentially multiplies what's possible And an incredible side effect of that is that people start noticing. Like if your life is transformed, if it's changing, people are going to start noticing that change. Let me ask you something. Did you know that you're a leader? Did you know that you are a leader? Like every person in this room, you are leading another person or you're leading other people. Let me put this another way by asking a question, is there, have you ever asked anybody for advice? Like, have you ever asked a parent or a friend or a neighbor, you have that neighbor, like, that knows how to do everything, like, and they can do it, like, with a bag of popsicle sticks and and, uh, duct tape? Like, I swear my neighbor's MacGyver, like, I don't know if you have anybody like that, but, but those people, like they wouldn't consider themselves leaders. They wouldn't consider themselves like experts in, in those fields, but they are leading by the example of their life. They're leading in those things that we do. And oftentimes, oftentimes there are go-to people when we need when we need instruction. To this day, my dad, my dad is a phenomenal bass player. And, and anytime I have a question about music, uh, about instruments, like I go to my dad and ask him questions. If you were to ask him about like, hey, how's that, what's it like being a leader as a musician? He'd say, I wish I knew how to play the bass. It infuriates me. But in this letter to Titus, Paul encourages him to find godly leaders, people of influence, who, have been, who are passing along uh, teaching that's theologically solid. And I'm convinced that the same call goes out to you and I today to own our influence and do something with it. That was, that was kind of the essence of, of what Nancy was talking about. Like she grew up in the church, but there was this influence that, that she knew that she had to do something with the, with the skills that she had and she's now a leader as a result. You have more influence than you could ever possibly know or you could ever possibly imagine. To somebody, you may be the only picture of Jesus that people get to see. And so the scriptures like this are a call to make sure that that picture that we're presenting is an accurate one. And that's why we need to let her see. Take inventory of the inside. Take inventory of our insides. Any of you familiar with the term gut check? Any of you familiar with the term gut check? Yeah, a couple of of you guys. If you're not familiar with the term, I'm not talking about like any type of like ultrasound or radiological study that shows like everything that's in here though that is a kind of a gut check of some sort. But a gut check is is where your instincts are recalibrated by external information that you receive. It's kind of like going on a road trip where you you discover that there are roads, there are better roads that you could take to get to your, your final destination and you have to recalculate or recalibrate your path. As people pursuing the good life, we're leaders by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Last week I'd mentioned that, that we get numb as, as Christians to our need for grace and the call to give it away. That's why the, the are we good gut check comes in and you and I really have to ask that question. For, for the Cretans Titus was working with, it was a matter of rebuking false teaching and replacing it with the example of Jesus. Jesus. In the message uh, translation, it puts it like this. Paul asks, is the person well thought of? Are they committed to their spouse? Are are their children believers? Do their kids respect their parents and stay out of trouble? Are they pushy, short-tempered, drunk, bullies, or money-hungry? Do they welcome people? Are they helpful, wise, fair, and reverent? Do they have a good grasp on themselves? And do they understand the message of Jesus? These are incredible gut check are we good yet questions and really like if we're going to pursue the good life, if we're going to pursue this life that's adding to our faith, that Jesus is enhancing our faith and that uh, and he is the focus of it and that we're, we're living in both receiving and giving grace. We have to ask questions like this and actually it's a part of Wesleyan tradition to do so. Our, our namesake, John Wesley, actually would get together with these, uh, these bands uh, of friends and, and they would get together daily and ask 22 questions. Um, and, and they would do this in the spirit of, of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, which says this, Encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. These are hardcore questions, but if you truly want the good life, it's imperative that we're in relationships of accountability with other Christians. I was talking to some people earlier today and this theme has come up throughout their week where it was in a, a study that they did or they had conversations with other people about how much they needed each other, how much they needed Christian community to spur each other on. Remember, our world desperately needs to see the goodness of Jesus now and in order for that to take place, we need to make sure that we're representing him accurately. So on the back of your handout here, you actually have a list of those 22 questions. Um, and, uh, and I just want to like touch on these like just really, really quick. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I'm better than I really am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? Wow, that's a great place to start. Let's move on. Am I honest with all my acts and words or do I exaggerate? Do I confidently pass on to another that which was told me in confidence? Can I be trusted? A- am I a slave to dress, work, friends, or habits? A- am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Did the Bible live in me today? D- did I, do, I give time to, do I give it time to speak to me every day? Am I enjoying prayer? When is the last time that, that I, I spoke to someone else about my faith? Do I pray about the money I spend? Do I, go to, do I get to bed on time and get up on time? Did I diso, do I disobey God in anything? Do I insist upon something in which my conscience is uneasy? Am I defeated in any part of my life? Am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? How do I spend my spare time? Am I proud? Do I thank God that I'm not as other people, especially as the Pharisee who despised the publican? Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold resentment towards, or disregard? If so, what am I doing about it? Do I grumble or complain constantly? And I think the final question really is answered by all of the other questions. Is Christ real to me? Like, we don't ask these questions out of guilt. I I want you to understand that. We don't ask these questions to like feel bad about ourselves or feel guilty, but to be vigilant. And you know what happens when we do this, when when we ask questions like this? Great moves of God happen. If you, if you follow history and you look at where members of these bands that Wesley was, was a, a part of that, uh, that asked these questions, there were great moves of God that came out, including uh, to both of the Great Awakenings and the revival in the Church of England. If you want to see the, the movement of God, we have to shake off mediocrity and, and dive into to this with both feet. Wesley would say this, and, and, and I would echo this statement because I want to see this happen. Give me 100 men who fear nothing but God and desire nothing, or, or fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. If the end game of the good life is to be united with Christ in eternity, and have the greatest possible impact on the world on this world before we leave it, wouldn't it stand to reason that the place where we start is considering what direction we're going in? We have to ask that question, what direction are we going in? Are we good? And that's why we ask questions like this, and, and we can't do this alone. It's, it's why Paul wanted to make sure that there were solid people in each town that were, that were leading. It's, it's why in, in October, you know, this last year, Pastor Mark and I have been, been praying about the direction of the Eau Claire Wesleyan Church, and it's why we fervently believe that, uh, that launching connect groups with leaders who we believe that God has granted godly influence to will change not only our church community, but it will also change the Chippewa Valley. Here's the deal. And this is why we, we ask questions like this, and, I, and we're going to land the plane here. We ask questions like this, and we live in community with people like this, because no one ever, no one ever wants to start a journey like this. No one ever wants to, to, to start out following Jesus and has intentions of failing no one no one who's seeking to lead a life that is you plus faith times Jesus and grace wants to fail but if we try to do this alone and we try and we try to 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 just kind of make it up as we go it's exactly what's going to happen and wouldn't it be better wouldn't it be better as we're pursuing a life that is you plus faith times Jesus and grace, instead of leaving it up to chance, wouldn't it be better if you and I were to walk alongside of fellow Christians and daily ask the question, are we good? Are we good? I'm going to invite the worship team to to close us out here uh, this this morning. Um, And we're going to stand and pray together here and and i just want to i want to let you know that that this morning again i want to remind you this is this is kind of the prescription this is hard um next week we're going to get into the what this actually does and what this looks like when when uh when it's in full effect and so as we uh as 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 the worship team leads here this morning and uh as, as we pray, I, I want to encourage you, uh, maybe you need to, to spend some time you know, in a conversation between you and God and, and maybe you need to take that conversation in to, uh, to having with somebody that, whose faith you trust and you'd say, you know what, I have confidence in, in, their, in their faith and their relationship with Jesus and I kind of need to get on track with this. Remember, we can't do this alone. We're not meant to. Um, nobody, nobody is meant to do, to do this alone. So let's stand together as we, we sing uh, the song sovereign over us. But before we do so, let's pray. God, a, a message like this can land in all sorts of different places. But God, I, I pray that uh, I pray that as we uh, as we consider this question, this are we good question, that um, God, would you speak to us? Would you uh, would you do something new in, in our lives here today that only you can? And God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for how richly you've given it to us. So God, would you you deal with us this morning as as we ask you this question? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.